Given the strange and uncertain times that we are in, and they are strange. Ahoy, mateys. Welcome back to the USS Strange Days podcast with your host, Fernanda Mondi, for another action-packed episode. As this week, we speak to two of the most impressive people in American public life today, starting with the Admiral Jim Stravitas, one of the most respected men to come out of the military ranks over the last 100 years. You know him, of course, as the former Supreme Allied Commando at NATO, also ran and was responsible for commanding the U.S. Southern Command, which overseed military operations through Latin America. And of course, you've seen him on the television tube as the international security and diplomacy analyst for NBC News. Admiral Jim Stravita is going to be talking to us about leadership and what defines the characteristics of a great American leader. And a little bit later in the podcast, we're going to be talking to Tiffany Cross, the host of The Cross Connection on MSNBC for a little crosstalk. She's going to break down what she sees going on in the political moment and why her show is quickly becoming one of the must-sees on all American television. United States Admiral Jim Stravitas and MSNBC's Tiffany Cross on another edition of the Strange Days podcast which starts right now. We're back on the Strange Days podcast. And while we have had an illustrious crew of guests over our four years of existence, I think few will top in terms of prestige, experience, integrity, and above all, love of country than our next one. It is the admiral, the former admiral from the United States Navy, James Stravitas, also the head of the Supreme Allied Forces for all of Western Europe in charge of NATO. James Stravitas, also in his own right, one of the great authors of a new book indeed called Sailing True North, 10 Admirals and the Voyage of Character. It is our honor to bring for his maiden voyage on Strange Days, Admiral Stravitas. Welcome, Admiral. Welcome aboard, sir. Great to be with you. And as a South Florida native myself, uh, I wish I were there with you in person so we could go to the Jaguar Grill. But we'll do that next time. Thanks for having me on, for none. We, we, we will indeed. And, and I want to just jump right into it. Um, we're going to get into the book in great detail, but you have one of the great nicknames of all time, in my opinion, and it's Zorba. And just for our audience, tell us a little bit about the Zorba nickname. Do you like it? Do you hate it? And how did that come about? Oh, dear. (laughs) 
I became Zorba when I was a midshipman at the U.S. Naval Academy because I'm Greek American and all my Naval Academy classmates, the only clever thing they could come up with was the movie Zorba the Great. So I became Zorba and I've stayed Zorba at least uh, throughout my career in Navy days. <laughs> now, now, for those classmates of yours, when you reach the rank of Admiral, do they still get Zorba privileges or are those only for friends and family? No, no. Uh, classmates at the Naval Academy are very special to anybody. They're with you forever and they can Zorba me all day long. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because let's transition into your book, Sailing True North, which is a depiction of really 10 of history's greatest admirals. And, and I want to start with one that has always fascinated me and a little, little known quality, Admiral Stravita said, I didn't realize until I read your book. And it's, of course, Admiral Chester Nimitz. He lives in American lore, perhaps the greatest to come out of the United States Naval Academy. But there was a story in his early youth, particularly when he learned a lesson around the idea of discretion and how that helped shape him. Tell us about that and why you think that played such a role in the development of his own character. Um, Admiral Nimitz grew up in a uh, German-speaking community uh, in the center of Texas. He'd literally never seen the ocean when he uh, went off to the Naval Academy. And, and simply what happened was he became acquainted with uh, a situation and he simply saw that it would be to no one's benefit to uh, air out the dirty laundry, as he called it in public. And that became a mantra for him. He always wanted to do the right thing for everybody else. I'll give you a very practical example. After Pearl Harbor, the, the fleet is destroyed and shattered, and many called on him to condemn his predecessor, the commander of that Pacific fleet, Admiral Husband Kimmel. But uh, Admiral Nimitz simply would not do that. He knew you should never air your dirty laundry in public. He uh, took care of those who were on Admiral Kimmel's staff. And I think that's a fine quality in a leader for none, is someone who is, uh, has discretion about all with whom they interact. You know, one of the other things that struck me so much about the book, when it first came out, it's, it's now out in, in paperback for folks to pick up is, you know, in this study, Admiral, I think what you were trying to do, and as you say so in the pages of the book, you try and give an explanation of, of what composes character in the form of these different individuals. And you talk about different elements that define that creativity, resilience, humility, balance, honesty, empathy, justice, decisiveness, determination, and perspective. And, and I couldn't help but think about those terms also, not just in the sense of individual identity, but national identity. And many of those characteristics and traits that you talk about in the definition of character, Admiral, at one point applied, I think, to how the United States was perceived in its national character and identity. How does that standing look at like from your perspective with those characteristics after four years of President Trump? Unfortunately, we have been diminished in how the world sees us. And that's because the Trump administration was uh, to put it charitably, unpredictable. You couldn't know what was gonna happen. Take China, for example. One minute, President Xi is having a long boozy dinner at Mar-a-Lago. He's the new best friend forever of President Trump. And then the next minute, the administration is sending out highly aggressive teams to 
levy 40% tariffs on China. Um, either of those could be a legitimate approach, but they both can't be. You've got to have consistency, reliability, if you're going to interact in the international sphere. And I think another example would be the way President Trump denigrated many of our allies. He treated NATO very badly. He treated the Japanese and the South Koreans very badly, uh, putting, in my view, very undue requirements on them simply to allow U.S. troops to be forward stationed, which is to our benefit. So uh, there's a lot that the Trump administration focused on that I didn't agree with. But what worried me the most were the questions of character um, that came out from the way the Trump administration handled itself uh, internationally. Admiral, when you when you think about the traits of character, we spoke about it just now in terms of the national identity. But what about when it comes to the body politic, uh, especially thinking about notions that you describe in the book, honesty and empathy and even humility? We have found that our, our fellow citizens today seem to be engaged in a struggle sometimes of bad faith, a lack of empathy, certainly little humility. And, and this crisis over honesty and what we're seeing this post-truth landscape. How can we apply some of the lessons that you describe in Sailing True North when thinking about it in bigger and larger terms about we as Americans and we the people? This is the great issue for our time, in my view. And I just wrote a new book, a novel called 2034, a novel of the next world war about the U.S.-China going to war. Um, you know, the United States can prevail in any conflict, in any challenge, if we pull together. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a centrist. I'm a political moderate. I was vetted for vice president by Hillary Clinton, one of six people actually vetted. I was offered a cabinet post by Donald Trump, which I declined. Um, my point is, um, I am a registered independent, not a Republican, not a Democrat, always have been. And so my view is here in America, we've got to do a few key things if we're going to pull together. Number one, we got to celebrate service to the nation. That ought to be higher than service to a particular political party. Um, and, and here, I, I don't mean when we say to military people, thank you for your service. We all appreciate that. But there are so many ways to serve this country, our teachers, our firefighters, our police officers our diplomats, our journalists. There are a lot of ways to serve the country. And we had to celebrate the idea of serving the country in all of the different ways that, that people do it. Um, secondly, we ought to put more money emphasis on education. Um, only through education can we teach young people and senior people, frankly, to understand what they see on the internet, to process it, to understand the distinction between what's real, what's misinformation, what's deliberate lies, what are rumors. All of those uh, can be discerned if you know the techniques, you know and understand, and you're educated. And then thirdly, I think as voters, we have to look for candidates who are willing to reach across the aisle. We need to find Candidates like uh, Charlie Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, he's a Republican in the most uh, Democratic state in the country. Or Senator Joe Manchin, uh, who is a Democrat in one of the most Republican uh, states in the country. 
we ought to, as voters, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we ought to build the value chain for those who are willing to reach across the aisle and work together. So there's three practical ideas, but we have to address this growing polarization in the country. It's the biggest worry I have. You know, it, within that polarization that you describe, Admiral, you know, you served in, in one of the most famous and prestigious branches, not just in the American military, but in, in military annals around the world, the United States Navy. And, and in your overseeing and commanding of, of the men and women in the Navy, you saw firsthand and experienced much of the diversity and the multiculturalism, which many in our country fear as a problem now. What lessons, what guidance would you give to our fellow citizens who see the diversity that a lot of people think is the reason for America's greatness and which you were able to lead in the Navy and and put some of those concerns to rest as our population and our society changes in the decades to come? Embrace it. Just embrace it because we are stronger with that diversity. And by the way, it's not just racial and multicultural. It's also gender uh, diversity, if you will. I commanded a destroyer in the late 1990s that had an all-male crew. I commanded it for about a year. Then the Navy decided that this particular ship would be one of the very first destroyer warships to embark uh, a female portion of the crew. So uh, a group, about 20% of my sailors left the ship, the males. Females came aboard. I then commanded the same ship for the next uh, year and a half. And I will tell you, it was a better ship as a mixed gender ship. Uh, Likewise, throughout my career, I've been very fortunate to serve with a wide variety of people. The U.S. military is not perfect in how it approaches uh, race and uh, embracing diversity. We certainly have our flaws, but by and large, it's a welcoming environment, and I have been the beneficiary of serving alongside so many outstanding sailors from all walks of life. Let me give you a very practical example. You may remember several years ago, we had two tragic collisions at sea in the uh, Pacific, and we lost 17 sailors were killed on USS McCain and, and USS Fitzgerald. And of those 17 sailors, Seven of them were born outside the United States of America. Um, This diversity is powerful. And oh, by the way, I know we're addressing a national audience here, but to my friends in in Miami and South Florida, uh, no newsflash here, but we are well on our way to being a bilingual, uh, binational culture in the United States. Um, and that will be Latino. Today, we have 15% who speak Spanish as a first or second language. By mid-century, it's going to be 30%. This voyage is underway. Uh, embrace it and realize that it makes us so much stronger, broadly speaking. You know, speaking of that strength, and you talk about embracing the diversity in all lines, including gender, you, you write about two pioneers in the book, Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, and more contemporarily, Admiral Michelle Howard. Tell us about your perspective of what leadership looks like when it's the female leading the charge. And and are we overdue in that sense when it comes to national leadership, having more women take charge, take control, and point us true north? 
Well, uh, Martin Luther King uh, said that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I think that's right, but I would say the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends toward women. And the further we bend that and the faster we bend it, the better off we're going to be. Why? Because women in general seek win-win outcomes. They are willing to collaborate. They instinctively collaborate. They support each other when they're in a meeting. They typically don't have uh, sharp elbows. Um, they are. They bring a sensibility that, in my view, complements those of males. They're not the same as leaders. They have different styles. And of course, female leaders run the gamut from super hard charging, super aggressive to ultimate uh, collaborators who want to just build teams together, just like you see that same spectrum on the male side. But the two you mentioned, Grace Hopper was remarkable for her innovation. She was the first, a true pioneer of computer science in the U.S. Navy. Uh, she was also someone you would want to go out and have a beer with at the end of the day. She was a great reader, had immense intellectual curiosity. Everybody loved to be around Admiral Hopper. Um, Admiral Michelle Howard, who I know personally, is, is a, a little bit behind me in terms of chronology, but a fellow Naval Academy graduate, tough as nails, came up commanding warships on the amphibious Navy side with uh, Marines embarked, uh, knows her way around a combat situation. She was, as a one-star rear admiral, she was the on-scene commander for the rescue of Captain Phillips. She's the one who gave the order for the SEAL snipers to take out the Somali pirates. Um, she is uh, smart, aggressive, knows her way around a warship. Uh, both of them are quite remarkable. One became a four-star admiral, Michelle Howard. And I think that someone like Grace Hopper in today's world, when the glass ceilings have been more or less broken, I think would have a shot at four stars. Even to get to a two-star rank in her day was incredible. So really a good example on the gender side of where diversity has really helped the U.S. Navy. Admiral Servetus, in closing, you have represented the interest of the United States and the defense of the United States in continents all around the world. You've also done it as the Supreme Allied Commander at NATO. But of particular and maybe personal interest, you were also the head of the Southern Command, overseeing all military operations throughout Latin America, a region, frankly, in the world that many think the United States has taken its eye off of. Do you have hopes in this new Biden administration that Latin America will be seen maybe perhaps through a different lens and with a, uh, a re-engagement uh, than what we saw over the last four years of Trump? Boy, I hope so. And um, let's face it, the potential of what we can do together in the Americas is just extraordinary. You know, here in the United States, somehow we've managed to appropriate that word. You know, I'm proud to be an American, except when you think about it, a Chilean is an American, a Haitian is an American, a Canadian is an American. We are all of the American. And in, in, this wonderful hemisphere, the potential is immense. None of these nations are at war with each other. Natural resources are abundant. We share a common Judeo-Christian background together. 
Uh, Spanish is frankly becoming a lingua franca throughout the Americas from Guerra del Fuego uh, to uh, Montreal. And it's an immense area of the world um, with a population that's still um, growing and dynamic. And sure, do we have problems? Yes. Is democracy flickering out in places like Venezuela? Uh, yes, the light never came on in Cuba for democracy yet. But boy, when I look back at the Naval Academy when I graduated in the late 1970s, and most of the countries south of the United States were military dictatorships, today there are many vibrant democracies. Almost every nation is a democracy. So I think this region has immense potential for us uh, here in the Americas if we can work collectively together. Folks, as empathetic, honest, and humble as he is, after having spent more than 30 years in the U.S. Navy rising to the rank of four-star admiral, if you want to feel like an underachiever in life, let me just rattle this list off. Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, the head of the Southern Command, a Ph.D. from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, where he recently served five years as the dean of said institution, the author of eight previous books, hundreds of articles, also the chief international security and diplomacy analyst for NBC News. And when he finds some free time, he's a columnist at Time Magazine and Bloomberg, in addition to his J job, which is the operating executive at the Carlisle Group. Admiral James Trevitas, you honor us. Thank you so much for joining us here on Strange Days. Thanks for having me on, Fernando. We're back on the Strange Days podcast, and it is a new year, and while the days are still indeed strange, they are a little bit saner, and part of the reason why is we've got saner voices on the television walking us through the madness. One of those voices, my dear friend, who I am so pleased to have back on the podcast, it is the host of MSNBC's Cross Connection, the great Tiffany Cross. Hey, Tiffany, welcome back to Strange Days. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be back with you on the Strange Days podcast, although you may have to change your name because the days are increasingly less strange. I, I hear you. I'm thinking the rebrand under Sane Days, especially if they keep going the direction we like. But Tiffany, part of the sanity comes from the sane voices on the air, and it really does start with people like you. I'm so excited because since we last had you on last year, there have been some big changes in your life. As I mentioned, you're the host of a national show on MSNBC, The Cross Connection, which airs Saturdays from 10 to noon. I never miss it. Tell me, Tiffany, about what your experience been with the show? Are you digging it? Are you enjoying it? And why? I am loving it. I feel like, you know, honestly, this is a true story. When I go to sleep at night and I wake up, I always think, did I dream it? And then I have to realize, no, it's my reality. So I feel incredibly blessed because how many people can say their reality is better than their dreams? So I'm very excited to have the show. And I think, um, you know, a part of what makes the conversations we have on the show so um, dense and necessary or because of people like you, you know, um, I, I try to make sure to have a very diverse and inclusive slate of topics and discussions um, because, you know, the rising majority of America will soon comprise a majority of uh, consumers. And that has to include cable news viewers. And I think for so long, 
um, our voices were not reflected, our perspectives were not reflected. So I consider it both a privilege and a responsibility to take the helm at this time um, and talk about things that are relevant, uh, important. And, you know, I, I'm excited that there's a regime change, but it's not necessarily, you know, one big celebration toast. I mean, we still have to hold this administration accountable um, and also take moments, uh, you know, in, in between holding them accountable, take moments to celebrate the diverse culture that makes America what it is. So I try to do all those things on the show every week. Well, you know, Tiffany, in that spirit of, of accountability, uh, w- one of the things that I think is a hallmark of your show is a realness and a rawness, which makes it so sincere and genuine, and at least for me, must see TV. And after four years where the truth was under assault openly by the White House, I- I'm just curious, Tiffany, for you as a host, do you feel an obligation to sometimes maybe overcompensate in that realness and rawness, even if it makes people a little bit uncomfortable in service of the truth because of what we saw happen to the truth these last four years? You know, so I would say I don't feel an obligation to be anything but who I am naturally, you know? Um, And so I think think it's such a timely question you ask because I've been um, thinking about this. You know, when Melissa Harris-Perry first got this time slot, she was coming on during the, the dawn of the Obama administration, the rise of social media. When our pal Joy Reid took over the time slot, it was during the beginning of the Trump administration. So she was able to reflect their outrage and validate, you know, people feeling like, what the hell is happening to our country? And so as I try to define my time um, taking this helm, a part of what I want to be is the mirror that America needs to see. Um, I think a lot of people have, have bought into the ideology of what this country is without really knowing fully the history um, of, of this country, which is not always pretty, and, and how that history repeats itself. And so there will be times where we have conversations for non, you know this, because you've been a part of some of them, where the, you know, it might be uncomfortable, but I think everyone has to be comfortable with a little discomfort, because if we're going to move this, this country forward, particularly after the four traumatizing years, we all just survived, it's going to have to come with some uncomfortable conversations. But the more we talk about it, the less uncomfortable it is. So um, I certainly, you know, want to validate people's lived experiences, um, but also force some of our viewers to hold themselves accountable. You know, in in what ways are we perpetuating um, entitlement or privilege or xenophobia or sexism or prejudice, discrimination, racism, all those things. So I I take that responsibility seriously when when I'm sitting in that chair and I I want people to feel at home, but it's like your dinner table. Sometimes you have uncomfortable conversations at the dinner table, but at the end of the day, you know, you're still family and you lock arms and, you know, face the world together. You know, Tiffany, such a good point, because as you hit on earlier, you know, you talked about the importance of holding these last four years accountable and at the same time understanding that sometimes doing that might make people uncomfortable. But there are some that say, you know what, it's tough to reconcile the idea of accountability with the idea of unity. So how does one and from your perspective, not just you, but your colleagues in the media and others, how does one engage in unity talk while 
while at the same time engaging in talk that tries to call out the offenses of the last four years in the spirit of moving the country forward? Well, it takes two willing parties for none. And I think that's part of the challenge, to be honest with you, because Look, I, you know, for one, I'm not interested in unifying with people who can't even recognize my humanity. So we have to start there. I know there's this big push, like everybody lock arms and sing Kumbaya together. But sometimes we ought to be okay with, no, we're not unifying with these people. These people are not patriots. These people who try to overthrow the government, these people who believe these weird ass conspiracy theories in the dark corners of the internet. I mean, I think all of those things deserve to be talked about. Now, for people who are, let's say, never Trumpers or, you know, people who um, are members of the Republican Party, if we cannot start the conversation from an honest place, I just ask people, be honest and own your role in what this country has become. And if you can say, hey, I messed up, you know, like I really did um, buy into some of the racism or I knew there was some some racism there, but I overlooked it because it benefited me personally. And I know now that was an incredibly terrible thing to do. If we can start the conversation there, then let's talk about unity. But if the first point of conversation is, well, both sides need to adjust their rhetoric, they can miss me with that. I'm not interested in having those conversations because they're not authentic. You know, it's not real. And I want my show on Saturday to be a place where people can gather for, if nothing else, it will be a real conversation. Let's not talk through filter. Let's not, you know, use euphemisms. Let's call a thing a thing. And from that point, progress. If we can't do that, then uh, I I don't know how we move forward as a country. Tiffany, have you seen enough examples of what you just described so well out there uh, of people maybe who made a mistake and maybe even passionately believed in that mistake, but in good faith have said, look, uh, those were some excesses. It's, it's time to reevaluate because we can't go down that road again, because I frankly do not really see many examples of that behavior anywhere on display. Yeah, not enough. I mean, and the thing is, I, I think Fernand is so much deeper because it's hard to unlearn an ideology that you have lived by your entire life. So we can talk about political ideology, but then there's this the ideology of some people in, in, in white spaces who just feel they are superior or who are incapable of seeing how their privilege and entitlement hurts other people. Now, there have been a few people like Stuart Stevens, you know, um, the former Republican operative, wrote a book about, you know, it was all a lie. And he talks about, you know, the racism within the Republican Party. So I do applaud people for at least trying to pull back um, the curtain. But I would also say, you know, when we have these conversations, it's going to ruffle some feathers on both sides, you know, (laughs) like racism is not partisan, you know, and there are going to be well-intentioned allies who uh, may not be as excited about, um, you know, having a mirror put in front of them as well. So, Again, I think that's part of the mission that I have on this show. Let's have the raw conversation because if people are not willing to acknowledge um, their role in this, then history can repeat itself. It's like the impeachment manager said, our past will not be the past, it will be our future. So no, there's not nearly enough uh, people out there who are willing um, to have that level of honest conversation. And, And you and I have certainly talked about it on the show um, and I think that, you know, the, the more that we force people like my I don't think, you know, Strange Days podcast and certainly my platform is not a place where people can come 
um, and, you know, talk around the actual thing. Like you and I both are in the business of holding people accountable. And I think that's why sometimes, you know, there's not a lot of, um, you know, MAGA supporters or people willing to go outside the Fox News bubble. Because when you don't deal in logic and facts, it's hard to defend some of these positions that are, quite frankly, despicable. Well, you know, in, in that spirit, Tiffany, again, one of the things that I love about your show, and, and you know, I admit it, I'm an unabashed fan, is those real conversations and your willingness to say, hey, hold on, check the platitudes. If you're going to come here, we're going to have a real talk, even if it makes you a little uncomfortable, because we're trying to fix things for the future. And, and there was a celebrated incident when you had a someone who's now a never Trumper, but at the time was one of the biggest proponents of Donald Trump when he was president. And of course, I'm talking about the mooch. Anthony Scaramucci and you know he got a little bit undefensive under the and hot under the collar when when you just weren't having any of the any of the 11th hour conversion stuff is it important to you Tiffany that those types of conversations continue to happen and do you find that that it maybe while uncomfortable it does fundamentally move people forward in the long run when they know they're not going to be able to just get away with whitewashing the past that way Yeah. And I, you know, I don't ever want to be in the business of sanitizing these people, you know, and I think um, I I don't, I I just don't think that serves anybody's purpose. And I think that's one of the benefits of having such a diverse slate of voices, because a lot of never Trumpers were simply celebrated by the media and elevated by the media, which as you know, was not very diverse. And um, when you face people of color, you know, I am a black woman before I'm anything else. I show up as that before I show up as a journalist, before I show up as a commentator, before I show up as someone with a show on this network. And if I am not there to do it for the culture and hold the communities of color on my back, then why am I there? So I take that responsibility very, very seriously. And so I feel personally disrespected by people who took a position and did not break faith until it uh, harmed them personally, but they were able to look at what was happening at the southern border in this country um, with indifference. They were able to watch Black bodies fall with indifference. They were able um, to witness some of the racist rhetoric we heard um, out of this administration's mouth when it came to uh, Asian Americans, African Americans, Latino community, Native Americans, and treated all of that like it was no big deal. But until the problem showed up at their front door, if that was the moment where they broke faith, I think we have to have a long conversation about accountability and ownership of how they were able to align themselves with someone who was so blatantly um, not a patriot and someone who trafficked, practiced, and perpetuated systems of white supremacy that were extremely harmful and tangible ways to our communities. If we can't have that conversation, it's a waste of time. Well, you know, speaking of that, Tiffany, it, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm looking at the other side of, of the double standard that now people of color are having to face this week in this very administration, where many of these same people who were proponents of Trumpism and, and the excesses of Trumpism are now this week saying that an Asian American uh, Pacific Islander near Tandon is not qualified to lead the Office of 
management and budget because of some partisan mean tweets, and that Javier Becerra, former member of Congress, current attorney general, is not qualified to be President Biden's pick for the Department of Education because of what they cite as a lack of experience. Just a flat out double standard that reeks of the worst kind of unforgivable, uh, you know, just bad faith hypocrisy. What does that say to you, Tiffany, about where the Republicans are today that they would just so easily engage in that bad faith? Well, I wish I could say it was all the Republicans, but unfortunately there are people on the Democratic side of the divide as well who have bought into that and echo some of those concerns. And I'll start with Neera Tandon, you know. Um, how ridiculous is it that she's being punished over quote-unquote mean tweets? And when you compare her tweets to the actual former twice-impeached president of the United States, 45, it's laughable that she's being asked, that she's being held to some level of accountability that they never asked of Donald Trump, ever. And it's quite insulting that she has to stand before this uh, committee of mostly white men and defend some of the things that she has said. It's uh, utterly ridiculous. They're also trying to tank the nomination of Deb Holland, one of uh, the first two Native American uh, congresswomen who made history in uh, 2016, um, or maybe 18, forgive me if I have the, those years wrong. Um, it's just utterly ridiculous. And um, in, in terms of, you know, Javier Becerra, who was on the front lines defending the ACA, uh, it, it's just, it, it baffles me the ways that Democrats are held to a different moral standard than our Republicans. And I think, you know, a, a few things here. One, the media has to do a better job of covering these things and adding context. Everyone wants to go out of their way. Um, to not express an opinion, but we can certainly practice expressing some common sense when it comes to some of these things. And two, we have to hold our elected officials accountable. It's not good enough to say that you're just going to tank someone's nomination um, because of something that a majority of people are okay with. I mean, you know, the members are there to serve their constituents, not any party, not any person, but to serve the people who elected them. And I think some of these um, decisions go against the interest of the people of West Virginia, the people of Arizona, and certainly um, against a lot of the areas where Republicans continue to hold power and control. Tiffany, a question I want to muse out loud with you, because, you know, in addition to being the hostess with the mostest on MSNBC, you know, you're also a commentator. You see what's going on. You have your own political analysis of things. And, and I go back to something that still shocks me. And it was, of course, Cancun Cruz, you know, Senator Ted Cruz's bailing out on his state while it was literally freezing to death and many millions of his constituents freezing. He was going to go party it up at the Ritz Carlton until he got called back. Uh, to come back stateside. And, and it led me to the belief, Tiffany, that, you know, nothing really matters anymore if he's able to get away with this. If, you know, I remember a time something like this would have happened, his resignation would have been on somebody's desk the next day because it just would have been intolerable. Now it's just another Thursday. W will we ever get back to that time, Tiffany, in the short term where people will be held accountable for their actions or in this case, their disqualifiable actions? I certainly hope so, but you know, it really says a lot for now about where we are as a country because yes, Ted Cruz is problematic and he went to Mexico. 
um, and lied about it and, you know, was allowed to just throw his daughters under the bus and then finally come out with the truth. Um, but he was far more problematic before this trip to Mexico. And the people of Texas sent him back to the Senate again and again. Now, a part of that is because they have a Republican uh, controlled state legislature, a Republican governor who is engaged um, in voter suppression. Uh, Texas is the state where they literally sent a woman to jail um, for voting while she was on probation. She didn't know that she wasn't supposed to vote. Her vote didn't count. They still gave her, um, you know, a maximum sentence. So, um, I, you know, I certainly hope the people of Texas will hold him accountable this time. Um, but, but my hopes are not high. I mean, when you look at what's happening in this country and the anger and outrage from entitled people who try to overthrow a government, when we're the ones being choked under voter suppression uh, uh, policies across this country, and yet still they show up because they're mad that their candidate didn't win. Ted Cruz stood by and encouraged that behavior, did not try to stop it. The former twice impeached president called his wife Heidi ugly, and he was still willing to sell his soul to go out and be a champion for this guy. His, he accused his father of being a part of the plot to kill Kennedy. I mean, it's just, it's laughable that this is a person who aligned himself with uh, Donald Trump and is still somehow allowed to serve in the United States Senate at the highest office while his constituents literally froze to death. Uh, people actually died behind this. So if the people of Texas are not willing to hold him accountable, I'm really lost. Um, you know, I don't know um, Senate procedure. Um, I mean, it's certainly been something that's come up when we've talked about exp expelling people from the Senate. Uh, but at a certain point, you have to wonder if, if you can get away with saluting violent insurrectionists like Senator Josh Hawley, then what, where's the line? You know, like what, what can you be removed from office for? And so far, the GOP has pretty much said nothing as long as it aligns with the base of our party, which are people who traffic in white supremacy and dance in the dark corners of the internet because they think leaders are eating children and leading pedophile rings. I mean, this is like post-apocalyptic movie type asinine ideology. Tiffany, before I let you go, while I hope every single person of our many thousands of listeners are faithful viewers of The Cross Connection, for those of you that haven't had a chance to check in yet, Tiffany, make the case for why you believe they should give The Cross Connection a chance and why Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on MSNBC are must-see TV. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to say that. And I would just say to your listeners that on Saturday mornings, it's a space where you can come um, for unfiltered, very real conversation, um, whether we are affirming what you believe, challenging what you believe. It's an interactive conversation. I like for people to feel like they are eavesdropping on the conversation with, with my guests, whether a camera is there or not. And other times I want them to feel a part of the conversation um, because I really am speaking to them. I think for a long time, everything in news uh, centered white people, white perspectives. Um, and this show does not do that, though it is a show for everyone. I think everyone should have some intellectual curiosity about our fellow countrymen uh, and what we're going through and what we endure. Um, but it's also a place to learn. You know, another thing, we, we don't get caught up in the DC alphabet soup, you know, and sometimes you watch these shows and it's like, 
oh, well, you know, the OMB nominee might be lost, but the, the DOD nominee is going through and not everybody knows what that is. So taking a moment to explain what the Office of Management and Budget does or, you know, the, what the Department of Defense is responsible for and what their role is or what is the Gang of Eight. And we really try to have highly intellectual exchange in a way that's digestible and comprehensive, that makes people feel reflected and included. And I encourage everyone to join the conversation. Um, you can join by watching the show. And I am very engaged with uh, my followers and people who hop on our hashtag and um, talk about the show. So, um, you know, even during the commercial breaks, I'm frequently responding to somebody uh, or, or liking tweets that I see, um, you know, and I go live. I take questions from viewers on Instagram live as well. So it's really a space um, that I'm trying to reflect America in the best comprehensive, inclusive way. And I hope that your listeners will do me the honor of trusting me in that space and joining me and becoming part of the conversation. She's the author of Say It Louder, the bestseller, which discusses black voters, white narratives, and saving our democracy. Also, previously a fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and as I said earlier, the host of the ratings Bonanza, the cross connection, the multi-talented Tiffany Cross. Thanks so much for joining us again on Strange Days. Thanks, Renan. I don't know about you, but I am a big fan of Tiffany Cross. Love her show, either when I'm watching it or when the privilege is afforded to me to come on it. I think it's a great show, and she is a superstar talent to watch into the future. But folks, it is time to bring this episode into port as Captain Wayne Cochran says, Mr. Amandi, let's tie this one down. Another fun-filled episode in the books. Want to say thank you to our guests, U.S. Admiral Jim Stravitas, and also Tiffany Cross. And of course, the most important thank you of them all, it goes to you, the Strange Days podcast listening family. Welcome aboard, you first-timers. Thank you much to you long-timers and for you mid-timers, well, you keep us going. Thanks for coming back for more, more, more. Do us a favor and spread the word if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do. Folks, it's time to say adios, but every single week after every single episode, I have to, I must remind you to always wake up, get smart, and then just follow the money. Peace, love, freedom, and democracy. Make sure to get that vaccine if you haven't done so already. And after you do, keep wearing a mask. We got to save those lives until this virus and pandemic is no more. See you next week, everybody.
Yes, sir. 